Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. That was a novelty act. You want to have actual sexual intercourse, right? Yeah. Well, what? The girl. It's all about the girl, isn't it? Yeah, the girl, yeah. And you're going to use somebody else's art to get her? Are you kidding? We're just starting. We need to learn how to play. Do the Sex Pistols know how to play? You don't need to know how to play. Who are you, Steely Dan? You need to learn how not to play, Connor. That's the trick. That's rock and roll. And that takes practice. And you're not a covers band, by the way. Really? No. Every school has a covers band. Every pub has a covers band. Every wedding has a covers band. And every covers band has a middle-aged member who'll never know whether they could have made it in the music industry or not because they never had the balls to write a song for someone else. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. But I don't know how to write a song. Close that the words it down. Really? It's going to be a long night. School in the morning. This is school. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I'm joined by Julio, and we are joined by the birthday boy, Eddie Strait. Welcome back to the podcast once more, Julio. I'll come back to you, but it's Eddie's birthday, so got to give Fuck him the you, first man. shout out. Hey, I, I appreciate it. It's it's good to be back properly. I, I was here last year on my birthday via via the call in for the Entourage episode. That's right. So it's, it's good to be back in the flesh to do the Lord's work on Sing Street. <laughs> Julio, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm a little confused, Alex, because uh, this movie was not fantastic and there weren't any foxes in it. Yes. And uh, I don't know, I think that you owe us an explanation. <laughs> uh, well, emergencies dictate certain situations. Uh, no, uh, basically some things came up, so we completely had to reorganize our schedule here. So uh, this is not... Our first animated movie in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, we're skipping ahead. We will be visiting Sing Street, as Eddie alluded to, uh, and then we'll be doing Righteous Kill, and then we're going to Fantastic Mr. Fox. No, then we're doing American Hustle. Oh Jesus Christ! I keep forgetting about American Hustle. <laughs> Most of us already have. <laughs> and then we're doing Tank Girl, mm-hmm. uh, and then 
Fantastic Mr. Fox, unless Alex comes up with another mysterious emergency mm -hmm. that prevents him from watching uh, a, a, movie, Wes a Wes movie. Anderson yeah. movie. <laughs> I, trust me, there's no shortage of emergencies to bust out for that. Um, but we are here today for Eddie's birthday and for episode 51. 51. We're going back to 2016 for Sing Street. This, in my understanding, this was recommended by the birthday boy Eddie. Is that correct? It was. Um, it, it's a movie that I've been baffled by for going on two years now. Well, that, that I mean technically two years since we're in 2018. I saw it at the end, either the end of 2016 or the very start of 2017. So I've, I've been kind of uh, boiling over on this one for a year, and I'm ready to, to be done with it. Yeah, it looks like we're just coming up. Uh, it premiered at Sundance uh, towards the end of twenty uh, January twenty sixteen. So yeah, I didn't uh, see it at Sundance. I, I assumed as much, but <laughs> you uh, something I, else that night. Yeah, I assumed you had heard about it at that point. So. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that now, uh, unlike in his previous two appearances and his voicemail, uh, Eddie is now a bona fide critic. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that makes our show more legit or if it makes us kind of hypocrites. We were unlegit. Now we're too legit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's. He hasn't been quoted in Run Tomatoes yet. So no, I, I mean, that... one day, you know, God willing, one day we're, we're going to be up here listening to to these two jokers quote, uh, quote me. <laughs> dare to dream, dare to dream. Uh, the movie currently stands at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's definitely in the, the fresh red vine area. So you're telling me it's got a higher rating than three billboards outside of being Missouri? Uh, I would assume... I, that sounded like a bit of a rhetorical question, but uh, I saw the trailer for Three Billboards and had no desire to see it afterwards. I, I understand you have some feelings about it, though. Well, uh, I mean, I, I guess surprisingly, uh, on this rewatch of Sing Street, I, I found an unintentional connection, which part of my problem with Sing Street that I, I never really knew I had until earlier today was that my experience with... Uh, Irish filmmakers or people co-opting Irish culture for their films, I was led to believe every everything was awful, and uh, you know everything was like Boondock Saints or Martin McDonough movies. And this is quite the opposite, and I was um, supremely disappointed. You're expecting a lot of hard drinking and swearing and mm -hmm. just nastiness, and then you're hit with just a bunch of. I mean, they only say the F word so once in this movie. Like, what? It, what is this? Are they even Irish? <laughs> They barely hint at child abuse. Yeah. And this was 2016. They didn't talk about Conor McGregor once. I mean, yeah, come on. And the, the bully in the movie just wants wants some kid to pull his pants down and dance. He doesn't even punch him. Like, what is this? <laughs> Who liked this movie, Julio? A bunch of people. Uh, starting with Tom Charles from The Skinny. Who says, Carney has managed to show all of the melancholy and loneliness of youth has counterbalanced it with so much joy and enthusiasm that you'll be left reeling. Alex Deneau from Trespass says, With a great cast, soundtrack, and a tender soul, Sing Street deserves to be an enduring antidote to nostalgia, a giant of modern Irish cinema. It's not an antidote to nostalgia, though. No. It's, 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 it's full-on nostalgia. I mean, it's set in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't get much more nostalgic than that. It's, it's a bottle of nostalgia-flavored syrup mm -hmm. uh matt glassby from flicks.co.nz says if there were an oscar for capturing the alchemy of composing songs on screen it could only go to carney 
Linda Cook from Quad City Times says, Sing Street hits all the right notes. Uh, I'm surprised it took this many quotes <laughs> to get to that one. I, I was building up to it. Uh, this and is then, more like a, a B flat. <laughs> and then Matt Kermode from The Observer UK says, I laughed, I cried, I bought the soundtrack album. Finally, Jamie East from The Sun UK says, love the film, buy the soundtrack, paint your nails, put some blusher on, and fall in love for the first time again. Okay, do you have any quotes that aren't from the, the record company behind the soundtrack? <laughs> Uh, so Sing Street is the story. Our main character here is Connor Lawler, played by, um, Ferdia Walsh Pilo. And I do apologize if I'm uh, mispronouncing that, but he's literally the, you know, the main character, the protagonist, the most important part of this movie. Uh, and he comes to be known as Cosmo, but we'll go, we'll get to that at a later point, but don't call him Cosmo. Don't play along. His name is Connor. Yeah, there's only one Cosmo we recognize. That, I, I was about to get to that, but uh, it's a 1985, 1985 Dublin, Ireland, and um, Connor's family is struggling. His dad is a struggling architect. Did I catch that correctly? He's he's struggling. His little that's, finger that from is Game correct. Of that's, okay. <laughs> that's all I know. Okay, so basically, in an attempt to you know cut down and make sure the everything is running efficiently. Uh, Connor's going to have to go to a cheaper school, uh, which is a Catholic boys' school. Um, and every every straight boy's nightmare. Yeah, and right off the bat, it paints just a horrible picture of Ireland altogether. Well, and, and his dad's it, a boozer and a smoker <laughs> and abusive husband. Uh, goes to the school that's full of bullies and you know people that like to drop uh, nasty terms about you know. Uh, people with different sexual proclivities and uh, the first person he meets one tries to offer him a cigarette and then when he doesn't take a cigarette he's going to beat him up unless he drops his pants and dances for him and that's actually not as bad as as his i guess he's the principal the the main priest who really is probably like the, the father the father yeah he's uh, uh i i was pretty outraged i'm not even like a full on catholic I was raised Catholic, though, and I, I just don't like the fact that this movie just kind of gets on the bandwagon of bashing uh, the church and portraying priests as these abusive authority figures. Mm -hmm. uh, from the very beginning, you can see that uh, Father Principal, he's... Uh, Father Killjoy? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not cool with any of the cool things that Connor wants to do. He's There's, like the only person in the movie who isn't nostalgic for the 80s. <laughs> yeah. He, he was looking ahead. He was, he was a man uh, ahead of his time. Well, he's just, he's just enforcing the rules, but he's portrayed as the villain just because he's telling him, hey, you need to wear black shoes and, hey, you can't wear makeup to, to school. Uh, Brother Baxter. Oh, there you go. Yeah, nobody nobody goes to a Catholic school to have their dreams come true. <laughs> I mean, you go to learn. Uh, there is a he wasn't he wasn't going to a conservatory to learn how to be a, a musician. He was going to just finish high school, and mm -hmm. uh, but the movie just encourages him to uh, just go off and be irresponsible. The main bully uh, that was aforementioned, the one that you know inclines him to pull his pants down and dance for him, is Barry. Uh, he's a character that comes into play uh, throughout the film. Um, hold, hold on. I do have a question. So 
how many times do you think he's successfully had people drop their pants and dance for well, him the, that this is his go-to move? Uh, at least once. Yeah. Uh, the redhead kid. Ginger Boy says, you know, you should have just dropped your pants and danced for him. And so it's it, it's a, a regular gambit here. You know, he's a, a regular Harvey Firestein of the, the Catholic school. <laughs> it's the rite of passage. You go into that school, you go into that bathroom, you take your pants off, and you dance for that guy. Oh, God. Um I have in my notes here, horrible representation of Ireland. I mean, that that's an evergreen quote for the whole movie. <laughs> what was like a big thing in the movie is just like getting the hell out of Ireland and going to London. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it, it's after the first day of school that he first lays his eyes on Rafina. Is that? I think it's his second day of school. Okay. The first day, he just... First gets... day is Barry. Bullied, drop your pants. Right. Second day is... As you uh, do. <laughs> Second, every every guy that's gone to a Catholic school has a has that kind of story. Mm-hmm. But then uh, the second day he meets uh, what's the name of his his eventual business manager, the redhead kid, Darren. Darren. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the second day he meets Darren, and uh, and gets his shoes. Uh, the principal tells him to take his, to take his shoes off because they're not black. Mm-hmm. They're still not black, so he has to walk through the mud. In socks, and uh, and then he meets the girl. Yeah, he sees Rafina on the other side of the street. Uh, she's an aspiring model, and the word on her is she doesn't really talk to anybody. She has a drug dealer boyfriend, so he goes over and somehow plays it cool. You know, just kind of turns it on and uh, says, "Hey, I'm in a band. I want you to be in the video." And for this moment, plays it cool as a cucumber, sailing on the Antarctic. And then, you know, as soon as he turns away, he just kind of geeks out and realizes, holy fuck, I have to form a band now. Yeah, but also, okay, so I think Rufina's great. I totally buy her as being a model, but I don't buy her as a high schooler at all. She looks like she's in her Mm mid-twenties. Did you, am I alone? Did I? No, she does not look 16 at all. Right, so it was like him walking up to an adult, a young Mm -hmm. adult. (laughs) Well, I mean, and like like in in most of these situations where, uh, you know, an all-boys school, uh, you know, whoever, whoever the outsider is, the the girl that catches everybody's attention, they just kind of project everything onto her, and it, it's hard to really know um, how much, if anything, of of what they say about her is actually true, because she's she's just there to, um, you know, let them know that there's hope once they get out of school that they won't always be this miserable. So Darren agrees he'll be the legitimate manager of the band and introduces um, Connor to. Eamon, who, uh, man, you want to talk about a nostalgic throwback character, has the hair, the glasses, uh, and also, you know, has a a quirk that is quite popular in indie films of being, um, just having a random random animal. He always has a rabbit around. So it hits, it hits all the nodges here that we need. Yeah, they're pandering really hard to the, the indie movie audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's also very, he could have been played by Casey Affleck in the American remake. He's very just like monotone and mm-hmm. very uh, just soft-spoken. And uh, uh, apparently he can play every instrument, which I don't know if Casey Affleck can do that. But no. I'm sure. Goro, he is not. Casey Affleck does not have that ability. <laughs> this kid can pick up anything and, you know, make magic out of it. So little by little, they start forming their band. Yeah, next in the in the most racist move in the movie, or at least one of the most racist moves in the movie, they just go talk to the one black. They kid. they literally steal a bit from South Park, uh, <laughs> in that token, you know, they just assume the black kid can play an instrument, 
So they have to go and recruit him for the band. Yeah, he ends up being able to play the keyboard, which, I mean, I don't know, I guess. And the wildly xenophobic moment of him trying to speak to him slowed down because he doesn't <laughs> think he can understand English. But it's supposed to be cute. It's like cute racism. <laughs> is that I, what it is? Yeah, and you know, I, I'm just like, if you're going to go old, just go all the way. You know, it, it's... Uh, go full Ireland. Go full Ireland. Go full racist. You know, it, it's... Uh, why is he playing the keyboard? He should be just... That's the, that's the bit from South Park as he plays the bass guitar. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Who plays? Oh, so Eamon is the bass player here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The bass player is the little Bobby Hill looking kid that doesn't really have any <laughs> kind of backstory at all. He's just kind of there. So Connor begins writing his own songs for the band. And the first one, the one that he presents to Rafina, the model for her to be in, what he basically this big lie he concocted is uh, the riddle of the model. And um, this is the song they're going to make a music video for. They need her on set for. And she realizes as soon as she shows up that it's not what was advertised. Um, Not necessarily to a fault. She says she likes the song and that's why she's there. Um, This to me was highly enjoyable because it really was just a bunch of little kids making a music video because they're all dressed in different attire. And uh, the little Bobby Hill looking kid is dressed up like a cowboy and it's fantastic. Yeah, but I I think I take issue with basically the implication. I love the 80s. What I don't like is that this movie is implying that 80s music is so bad that the stuff that this guy's writing and his band's playing is just good enough that you wouldn't, you know, it doesn't stand out. It's just it just plays like, oh yeah, this is music of this decade. Mm-hmm. You know, he's you see him watching music videos with his brother and in supposedly learning from Duran Duran and learning from The Cure and whatever. And then he comes up with a half-assed song that kind of resembles the music of, of those bands. And everybody treats it like, oh, yeah, this is good. And this is, I mean, when we opened the movie, this kid was just singing out of tune uh, by himself in his room. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes later, he's kind of a rock star by the movie's standards. I don't buy it. This moves along his brother, a character we haven't spoken of yet. Uh, Brendan, I believe is the name. Yeah, Brendan Lawler. Um Connor's brother is kind of helping him along his musical journey throughout the way. Um, and once he gets insight that Connor is, you know, fallen for this girl and is into her, he presents that he listened to The Cure, which transitions to basically the band's transition. They become, a, a, for all intents and purposes, a Cure cover band. Uh, what it leads to is Connor showing up to school with makeup, a fresh new do on. Um, and obviously the birth of the name Cosmo, which we do not recognize on this podcast, but shows up to school and uh, is physically assaulted by Brother Baxter and physically made to remove his makeup because it's not in God's will. It's such a cliche. It's just such an uncomfortable sequence in a movie that's pretty vanilla otherwise, uh, where he's in the principal's office and Brother Baxter is like... First, he's trying to intimidate him, and then Connor kind of tells him that he found a loophole in the rule book, and so he can actually wear makeup. And then he painted his shoes black. Yeah, he painted his shoes black, and he can wear makeup because it doesn't say so. And uh, Brad Baxter comes up to him, like sits in front of him on the desk, and then like lightly touches his cheek and says, "Well, you are, you're such a pretty boy. You don't need makeup." Mm-hmm. I- Isn't that? Was that before or after he says, you can use my bathroom? It's right before. And then he's like, you can use my bathroom to wash it off. 
wildly inappropriate, very much out of place in a movie that's so far, like I said, a pretty vanilla uh, musical about first love. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we have to face up to the idea that, oh, well, you know, maybe this guy is worse than they're painting him. And, and he's actually just the ultimate super bad stereotype of a priest, of a Catholic priest. And then, of course, because the movie can't even commit to that. Instead, Connor just escapes the, the office and, and gets roughed up by the by the priest in a regular bathroom not in his bathroom and mm -hmm. uh i see i i you know as much as i don't want to i have to give the movie a little bit of credit there for for kind of uh you know you know uh upending viewer expectations because once once he opens that door and just says you know you can use my bathroom everybody is like man th this movie's about about to go full irish on us <laughs> and then uh and then then it takes a turn and uh you know i kind of I kind of like that. I I kind of like that. Um, you know, fodder is just just, just um, you know, a fuddy duddy and not not really um a full on molester. <laughs> yeah, I mean Sing Street needs a lot of things to be better. Um I don't think a molester is one of those things. But the implication is there. I mean, just because it it didn't happen to Connor, it doesn't mean that this guy doesn't it's much like the bully that asks everybody to take their pants off and dance. I mean, well, do you think the bully learned that from him? <laughs> That's I learned it from you. <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible. Uh, they move along to make their next music video, and it's a lot more polished and um, a lot more refined. The music's better. The visuals are better than their first go around. Uh, they do have Rafina back on the set as the model. Um, they concoct this storyline where she's going to be a mermaid in the music video and has to return to the sea. Uh, in the heat of the moment, just for the you know the sake of the film, she jumps in the water. You know, uh, she was supposed to just jump into the, the the bay below. Jumps in the water, can't swim. The significance of this is that Connor rescues her, and it leads to their first kiss. Yes, she still has a boyfriend, by the way. She she has a boyfriend. She's been toying with this kid the entire time, and then leads him on to that kiss. And then when Connor asks the very rational, sensitive question, what about your boyfriend? She turns on him and she's like, wow, you ruined the moment and walks off. Yeah. Rafina in the in the movie, they they kind of in, indulge Connor in the worst, uh, the worst like stereotypes of wanting to be a rock star because, he you know, he sets out. He's like, I'm I'm going to impress this girl. So then he gets a band and then they're like, oh, you know, after one failed attempt. Uh, they are immediately not only good at music, but good at music videos and video production and editing. And, and so good that she's willing to throw away whatever she has with her boyfriend just for one one little kiss with Connor. And it's, uh, you know, it's encouraging him, even though uh, the movie is kind of magically giving him uh, the talent that he wishes he had. But we heretofore have, have not really seen proof of. Well, but also, I think you're giving Rufina too much credit as a good person. I think that she is not like she's willing to give anything up for him. I think that she's enjoying the fact that this kid worships her and is doing all these things for her. Uh, but it's not like she is taking him seriously as a potential like mate. Mm. You know, she has that other guy that's older that uh, has told her that he's gonna take her to London. Uh, she's just having a good time with this with this kid. She's just enjoying the attention. Uh, which I think is something that uh, I wish the movie didn't romanticize it because it's actually a pretty unhealthy thing to to just portray uh, 
it's healthy. You know, it's like this this guy first day of school falls for somebody that's way out of his league, and then right, he can't even get his shoes right at school. <laughs> yes, and now now suddenly he he's got the apple of everybody's eye, like in the palm of his hand, almost. Yeah, it, he proceeds to just obsess about her and basically uh, just use up all his energy and time on trying to to impress her. Meanwhile, his family's falling apart, and he's just spending time that he could be, you know, spending at a part-time job helping with, you know, all the expenses. Instead, he's just spending who knows how much money on video production. Yeah, and during all this, like you said, the his family's falling apart, but he just has this huge sense of confidence instilled in him. He stands up to bury the bully at school, um, only to come home and find, you know, his brother... Brendan just watching their mom kind of deteriorate. The highlight of her day is smoking a cigarette and drinking a glass of wine in the sunset. Um, and this is lost on him. None of this resonates with him as, you know, being a bad thing. Or... But the only thing he gets out of that is like, oh, I should, this, this inspired me to write another song about this girl that, yes. that, that I, I have no shot. And during all this, uh, all the bandmates are flunking all their classes at school because they're spending so much time. You know, I mean, have you music. heard the quality of their songs? Like, <laughs> no wonder they're bad students. <laughs> but this never comes into play in any way. There's, right. there's one throwaway line of like, oh, if I failed my test, I can explain. But they're not held accountable for their actions. They spent a whole sequence where you see them. There's like a long panning shot where you see them like looking at their tests and knowing that, oh, I'm going to flunk this. They have no idea. They stop to check every single member of the band and then it has absolutely no consequences. I thought that one of them was going to get grounded at least and they were going to have to find a replacement or something. But And through every montage in the film, there's just additional praise for Duran Duran. I mean, I love Rio as next as the next person, as much as the next person, excuse me. And Wild Boys, fucking great song. But, you know, Carney here had clearly uh, a, an agenda. a rager for Duran Duran. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think a little Duran Duran goes a long way. The DD agenda. Yeah, I think I could have been okay with just one to run. I mean, like (laughs) the full set. But it's the thing, like, they introduce him in like the first 10 minutes of the movie, but then they just keep coming back to Duran Duran. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised they didn't get credited, you know, as one of the leads in the movie. They didn't get the and credit and Duran (laughs) Duran. (laughs) Introducing, (laughs) reintroducing (laughs) Duran Duran. With Duran Duran. Uh, so, you know, with all this sadness in life and, like we mentioned, the extremely foreshadowing shot of his mom being unhappy, their parents end up splitting up. She's fallen in love with someone else named Tony. Did we meet Tony in the movie? We never meet him. We just hear about Tony. Yeah. And when you say foreshadowing for the mom, is that foreshadowing uh, Rafina or Connor's future or or Ireland's future? <laughs> To me, it was just showing that his mom was clearly unhappy in her relationship. I mean, well, I mean we, we I knew think, that. Though. Yeah, I think foreshadowing gives it makes it sound like it's it's just like some artful symbolism. Right? No, the brother basically tells you. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, the movie doesn't trust us to get it. So it has the shot. It has the brother. Foreboding. Yeah. Yeah, it has Brendan I, uh, explain it to Connor and hold the audience's hand at the same time. Is this is a sad mother. Who smokes and drinks because her husband is a dirtbag, oh, and she's that. also a dirtbag. Now there's, we're gonna play a song. There's, yeah, no, no, I, no, hope, there's I hope this is enough material. Have for you heard you, of Duran Duran? <laughs> 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 
there's there's a scene even where he tells him it's like he thinks that he tells him that his dad thinks that the mom is cheating mm-hmm. uh, because she her boss always gives him gives her a ride but she gets out of the car a hundred yards before the house or whatever and it's like okay we get it yeah it's no wonder Connor finds himself in the position he's in because he has no real role models you know he he has fodder who's <laughs> you know. <laughs> Brother Baxter. <laughs> yeah, he's got him. He's got his dad who's like only – it seems like he's only ever around to deliver bad news to the family. And his brother, like, he's, who's the closest thing to a positive figure, just loafs around and watches their mother. Yeah, know. I'm sorry. But, the, the, I mean, the movie wants you to take the brother as this sort of parental figure that Connor – it's lacking and uh, this guru that offers guidance and wisdom about life and yeah, music. He's and like, he, he's like the Irish Seth Rogen with straight hair instead of curly. It, he's, he's just, but he's a bum. I mean, yeah, Seth Rogen and James Franco from Pineapple Express roll together. Uh, and then he tries to sell himself as a martyr. Right. For, yeah. yeah. I thought you were about to say he tried to sell him some weed and I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't see that scene. Director's cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Ireland. So, uh, <laughs> No, we're going to get high and listen to Duran Duran. <laughs> this is your future. Uh, he explains, you know, I carved the path for you to be here. Uh, Brendan explains this to Connor, excuse me, and says... Yeah, that was a real sloppy metaphor. He's busy talking about jet it- engines and waves and, and clearing paths. And it's like, dude, yeah. like, pick pick one machine... <laughs> He prefaces it by saying that he hasn't smoked weed in two days, which he, I don't believe. He also he compares himself to a machete and then compares himself to a jet engine. Yeah, I mean, he just, I mean, like it wouldn't surprise me if the postscript of this movie is Brendan kills himself as soon as his brother drives Dude, off on the I jet ski. I have that in my notes. I'm like, he will not survive without his brother, who was the only one that was paying attention to him. He turns around and he's like, where am I? Um, in the wake of his family falling apart, his relationship with Rafina really starts to take off, uh, so much so that he takes his uh, granddad's boat out for a ride because, for some reason, London is the Holy Land. It is Jerusalem to the people of Ireland. I mean, it's like... I mean, I, I didn't really have a problem with that because, you know, everybody from a... You know, Whenever, wherever you're at that you want to get out of growing up, there's always that Mecca. You know, it, it's the same as like the people in Buda who are like, I just got to get to Austin. <laughs> the grass is always greener. Though, yeah. Because, I'm yeah, because sure. it's, it, it can't be worse than it is here. So, you know, soon enough, there'll probably be a, a Sing Street sequel where he has to get out of London. Uh, during this, though, they plan for their next music video shoot. And you can tell that Rafina is a bit disconnected on it. And, um, you know, a bit uncommittal. But still, she commits to making out with him. Yeah. She still has a boyfriend, and they go, they have this picnic, and they just, at this point, they don't even worry about the fact that she is not single. I mean, they're, they're just hanging out like she's not committed to a, to a relationship, and they just make out, take a break for snacking, then go back to making out. Uh, I... We know, because we've seen the whole movie, that she knows that this doesn't matter because she's leaving town really mm-hmm. soon. Yeah. He doesn't know. So yeah. this kid's getting taken for a ride, <laughs> not just on that boat, but just... I feel like life. that's I feel like that's that's partly on Connor, because he's got the same goal, too, of getting out of there. So it's... I mean, he, he's... His, uh, his intentions are a bit misplaced and myopic as 
as he is throughout the rest of the movie. But they plan out what the next music video is going to be, and it's going to be similar to Back to the Future. Uh, of course. Yes. A nostalgia trip. Uh, and basically a swing dancing uh, routine where she comes in and clears the dance floor and runs into his arms type of affair. So they go to film the video, and uh, we see, you know, in an homage <laughs> to 500 Days of Summer, uh, what he wants to happen as opposed to what really does. Uh, uh, see, I, I didn't go back that far. I just immediately thought of La La Land and how they did this this bit so much better. Oh, touche. Um, but she doesn't show up. Yeah, and the song is, I mean, I, I hate that they keep referencing Back to the Future and then they really let you down mm -hmm. on all accounts because that dance is no enchantment under the sea and that song is no Johnny Be Good. I mean, yeah. And the and the brother riding in on a motorcycle is no Doc Brown and a DeLorean. <laughs> no. <laughs> and whatever the kid's rabbit rat thing is, is no Einstein. <laughs> Great, Scott. <laughs> yeah, but see, so she doesn't show up and you would think, okay, this is the moment where... The movie, at least, it put you through all this because this is the moment of awakening when mm -hmm. he's going to realize, oh, wow, okay, I've been an idiot this entire time. She was not taking me seriously. And, uh, okay, well, you know, everybody has to learn. Everybody has this first experience. Well, Rabbit Boy's been taking me seriously. <laughs> We're both going to a Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, that should have been his first awakening. It was like my, my best friend is best friends with with his pet like what am i doing with my life he showed up to his house like what are you doing rabbit stuff <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's cryptic <laughs> yeah that you want to talk about foreboding <laughs> uh so he goes back to the uh, girl's house that rafine has been staying at to learn that she left town earlier that day to go to london with her scumbag boyfriend um and so understandably so connor's crushed by this but at the same time you know we all saw it coming. Well, yeah. You can't be surprised. <laughs> Everybody saw it coming, except maybe the roommates, Rafina's roommates, because she, she tells her that they had they had a bet going, and she lost. Mm -hmm. She lost money on him, but she was actually betting on him, uh, which, if I was Connor, I would feel even more upset just by the fact that everybody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody really uh, warned him. So during the fallout of her leaving, the opportunity comes for them to play at the... Uh, I believe it's the end of the school year uh, disco that the school is having for their band to perform. Um, during all this, she comes back and just tries to no-sell it and acts like she's not who she is. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a real never-been-kissed type moment where she was there in the, the gym standing amongst the high schoolers and, and obviously not fitting in. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, but before that, when she you're talking about where she's like, no, I'm not Rafina. I'm yeah, when she tries sister. to say it. No, 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 that's That is me. the dumbest moment in the entire movie. I, I saw a Drew Barrymore right there <laughs> trying to pull one over on us again. Yeah. 51st date. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> and that's also when she just trashes uh, McDonald's for no reason. She just, she takes a... Yeah, the pride of Ireland. <laughs> she's like, I guess I'm going to have to work at McDonald's now. I was like, okay. She should be so lucky. Like, going around, spending all her time making videos with with Catholic school-age kids when she could be out contributing to society. I mean, there's and, a reason why uh, Connor's dad is, is selling the house. And the horrifying moment where she admits that she was hit by uh, her boyfriend, but she deserved it. And then there's just, like, this awkward moment of silence. Yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to make light of... 
any sort of domestic violence or anything, but given what we've seen of physical aggression in this movie, there's no way he's actually hitting her, right? Because all we see are little little slaps and hair mussings, right? I thought you were going to say, given what we've seen so far, <laughs> she probably had it coming. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, I would not do that. And, he I caught mean, her, he <laughs> caught her humming one of Connor's songs. Yeah, it was just more to me. I, I could see that. see fodder trying to wash off her makeup, <laughs> but not not anything like. Really my my concern was Connor didn't seem to have any concern about her being hit. Yeah, why would he? Well, he he hasn't like, cared about anybody a, but himself. He's like, I need to write a song about this. Yeah. He just kind of walks off. I mean, she she throws a dig at him also. It's pretty bad. She's like, I guess this is my life now. I'm going to work at McDonald's and make music videos with a 15-year-old. Mm, yeah, and then he walks off. and then... He'd probably he'd probably na- do something super lame and, and name the song, like, Feel Good Hit of the Summer. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to walk off and... Johnny Mnemonic era CGI pigeons fly <laughs> off in the background. Uh, so he does. Uh, so what? What did the pigeons symbolize? The end of innocence. His free will flying far, far away. <laughs> so it moves along to the disco, the end of school year celebration. Uh, Connor did prepare a new song, "Brown Shoes," which is the one he has a bunch of uh, headshots of Brenda Baxter printed off. Yeah, he's already already nostalgic for the beginning of the movie. <laughs> um, and they perform their set. They're a big hit. Uh, and Why wouldn't they be? Everything else has gone his way. And they've somehow coerced Barry, despite, despite Connor uh, publicly humiliating and uh, emasculating him in front of the entire student body, Barry just agrees to be their roadie. I thought that was another of his fantasy sequences, though, because there's no way, especially in the 80s, are you kidding me, that you can just stop a bully like that? Like, a guy that's previously threatened him with a slingshot and slapped him around, stolen his candy and all this stuff, and then suddenly he just tells him, what is it? He says, he you, said, you he says <laughs> no, it's, no, he says, you don't create. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's like, you can only Destroy stop things. Destroy yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't create. Okay, that would have gotten his ass kicked in a normal movie. <laughs> but here, somehow, just because he's wearing a hat and walking with a little more confidence, that stops the bully in his tracks. And then he becomes a roadie. Uh, so they do their set. The new song, Brown Shoes, is a big hit, despite Brenna Baxter's... Uh, he just leaves. He tries to shut down the concert, but you can't stop the rockin' man. So he has to eventually just leave. Um that's the shit out of another student, though, before he goes. Well, he, like, punches him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Randy Marsh style, just grabs him by the collar and just decks him. But in all this, Rafina shows back up, and the two main characters, Rafina and Connor, realize their love for one another. They go back and convince uh, Brendan to drive them back out to their grandfather's boat so they can make it to the promised land of London. There's got to be an easier way. That, that feels like more romanticizing. We're like we're gonna take to the sea. We have no experience on on the open waters, but of course we're gonna get exactly where we want to be. Right, that's a tiny boat, and there. How close is London? I mean, I know he said that you could see it on a clear day, but that's still. I think it was like thirty miles. Right. In the realistic version of Sing Street, they get around they that. Well, either that or they get around that bend, and the brother can't see him, and then they just get back on land and catch a, a train. <laughs> but. Uh, much like Brendan had initially made allusion to, uh, compared himself to the jet engine, uh, they're making it, they're getting further and further, and then a big uh, freighter comes by, and they get into its wake, 
and the jet engine clears the path for them to do you think presumably Brent, make it to do London. you think brendan viewed himself as that that freight oh i know he did <laughs> yeah they Despite last, the fact that he was back home already I mean, getting it, it, high listening to Duran Duran. But. <laughs> well, the last time you see him, he's just in the car. Mm-hmm. So you're assuming that he made it home. But like we said earlier, I don't think that guy made it much longer without his younger brother. No. It, that was his reason for living. He, and, he went to McDonald's, the pride of Ireland. <laughs> yes. And, and then went back home and listened to a, a couple of Duran Duran tracks before just drifting off. We're just ending it for good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you noticed in that final shot when they're like at sea and uh, it keeps cutting back and forth between close-up of Connor really excited and the close-up of Rafina behind him. Mm-hmm. Not quite as excited. <laughs> and at first you think that it's just because of the sea and how much water she's taking. And it's a graduate. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I what I thought like right away. It was like, okay, now that the excitement of escaping Ireland is over, <laughs> do you really want to stick around with this kid? I mean, the entire movie, he's been way more excited about the relationship than she has. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think it's it's irrational to think that this is not going to work out at all. But the movie sells it to you like it will. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, love triumphs. When really it's just, no, two irresponsible kids that have absolutely no skills, uh, no no real And she's supposed map. to be 16, right? That's what they say? Yes. Okay. Now, if she's a 24-year-old pretending to be 16. Did she ever say... Her age, or is that no. still more just speculation? They actually say inferred. 16, though. Like uh, One of the students, or one of his friends says she's 16. That, is she? No, she never says yeah. her age. So she could be just... A idiot. woman of mystery. Yeah. It's, it's the riddle of the model. How she's old is she? Fucking, like I said, this is a direct ripoff of Almost Famous, and she's fucking Penny Lane. What do you mean, like I said? This is the first time you've mentioned Almost Famous. Oh, sorry, while we were... While we were <laughs> Oh, that was good. I'm going to have to record like a, a drop for the first part of the podcast. <laughs> this is like almost famous. <laughs> All right. You got anything to add? I, I just because I just looked down at my notes and that reminded me. Uh, before he plays the Brown Shoes song, they play a couple other songs mm-hmm. uh, at the at the prom. He, uh, he plays like some upbeat song and then... Because he's such a rebel, he plays a slow song, even though everybody tells him it's a bad idea. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he he starts, he introduces by saying, uh, this is a song for everybody who thought they oh, had a girlfriend. Oh, the friend zone ballad. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He's like, if you thought you had a girlfriend, then it turns out that you were just friends. But then the song is not about friend zoning at all. It, the, the song is just generic, like... I'll be there to catch you when you fall, or like I've always been running to you. I don't know, but it was like I, I was actually listening to lyrics to wait when to, to see when he delivered the twist of like you know, mm-hmm. but we're just friends. <laughs> but instead, it's just like all the other songs in this movie, just generic and uh, completely unremarkable. Muzak version of eighties tunes. Yeah, yeah, which again irritates me because eighties movies, eighties songs are supposed to be memorable, mm-hmm. and this. It's just insulting. Yeah, I mean, I know we've harped on it, but, you know, who who really wants, you know, when you have Duran Duran, who wants Duran Duran Jr. Jr. there? <laughs> <laughs> but one the one of the last like, random bits that I had is um, when they're showing their videos or any flyers or anything, do they ever show the band's name? Because I, I know they say it because, I like, 
They oh, name the it after drum, the kick drum. So, so why do they not? You know, they get it from their school. Why don't they na- spell it the same way? Why is it not S Y N G E? Why do they Americanize it? Because they're singing. Ah, uh, see, this is some like Alex Mattis uh, family stone kind of. Thing. I'm sure it ties I'm about, in. I'm about to blow your mind, Eddie. I'm sure it ties into McDonald's somehow. <laughs> it it sings sweet because they're singing. <laughs> yeah, I I mean they didn't have to be so literal there. I know I know this is not a subtle movie, but yeah, they they could have aimed a little higher. You got anything else? I'm I'm ready for real talk. All right. So let's move along to Real Talk. Do you see that guitar? I used to be able to play that guitar. Well, I used to ride hot girls. I could run 200 meters faster than anybody in my school. You're the youngest. You get to follow the path that I macheted through the jungle that is our mad family. I was alone with them for six years. You think they're crazy now? Think about what they were like when they were in their late 20s. Two Catholics in a rented flat with a screaming baby who just got married because they wanted to have sex. They didn't even love each other. I was in the middle of that alone. And then you came along, thank God. And you followed the path that I cut for us, untouched. You just moved in my jet stream. And people laugh at me, Connor. The stoner, the college dropout, and they praise you, which is fine. But once, I was a jet engine. All right, so Sing Sing, Sing Street. <laughs> Excuse me. Sing Sing. I thought you were. I thought you were doing an All American Rejects riff there. No, uh, Sing Street, directed and written by John Carney, released. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Sundance premiered uh, January 24, 2016. It was released in the United States on April 15th of 2016. Budget, a modest budget of $4 million, a box office of $13.6 million, so close to the $14 million mark. Um, this was uh, our guest Eddie's recommendation. I had zero familiarity with the film leading into this. Um, and the research was fairly minimal. I couldn't find too much about it, but I quite enjoyed it. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Real Talk with Alex Mattis. What else needs to be said? Coming up next. <laughs> Contrarians after dark. For 45 minutes of plugs. <laughs> uh, I, I think I had it either as number one or number two on my, on my top movies of last year. Really? Yeah, that's how much I like it. I think it's great. It's quite good. It's um, I always enjoy watching a movie where I virtually know nobody in it and see like an ensemble performance that's so strong. Um, it's not like you know a great white buffalo in terms of rarity, but it's not too often you see it all come together like it does here. And yeah, I mean some of the things we pointed to in the movie, there are some things in the plot that are kind of just go nowhere, but the strengths of the movie make up for it. I feel. And um, now I just assume because you recommended it, Eddie, you're a big fan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I recommended it, I, it was kind of spitballing with Julio and, and just sending him various ideas. Um, I don't I, I mean, I feel like Walkhard was also recommended at one point That's and a, a few others. Movie. And, but he immediately jumped on Sing Street and, and I love it. Um, I, I, don't, I I watched it 
I don't remember. I think I rented it or I don't know, whatever it was. Like I saw it and then it hit Netflix and then I watched it a few more times because it was really easy to just put on during the day when the kids were napping or, or whatever and just do stuff and, and see like whatever part was coming up. And like, oh, it's another good one. Connor would just put him to sleep. <laughs> His lullabies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I assume the majority of those songs are original to the movie. I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah. Are you are you familiar at all with any of John Carney's other I was movies? I hoping you were going to say with Duran Duran. Uh, fuck, I thought he was too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, I, I did some. I did do some research on John Carney because the name sounded familiar, but I have not seen anything else outside of this that he's made. Yeah, I uh, I'd seen once when it first came out. Uh, it was okay. I'm not as crazy about that movie as other uh, people. I think I, I think I liked it more than you then. But I, I also, I've only seen it once. I've heard from a few people that the movie kind of loses, like whatever effect it has on you that first time, it, the magic doesn't quite hold up to repeat viewing. So I think I'll just keep it there. But it's, I mean, it's got the one song that won the Oscar, that the falling, slowly falling. Or yeah, whatever it's it is. all right. I, I think that's one of the big problems I have with once. I just don't like the music. I mean, it's it's well produced music, mm-hmm. but it's just a little too like I don't know, whiny for lack of a better term. Uh, and then he did uh, that movie with Mark Ruffalo and Begin uh, Again, Begin Again with Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. which is like a more Hollywood mm-hmm. movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I I liked it fine. I didn't watch that until after Sing Street because I like Sing Street so much. That I decided to check you know his other movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's so all by my count. You know, he just gets better and better with every movie he's made. Um, yeah, I thought, like we said, the music was excellent. I also thought it captured really well because it's easy to make um, a movie about you know fifteen adolescents, the mid-teens, about caring too much or not caring at all about things. And I thought it hit a good middle stride of that. Uh, get a bit more into detail of that the further we get along. Um, now, being at ninety six percent, that means there's some people that didn't like it. There's a four percent that uh, has some things to say. Uh, starting with David Jenkins from Little White Lies, who says like a tie in soundtrack album in search of a movie. Uh, Scott Marks from uh, the San Diego Reader says John Carney from Begin Again once again tries to reheat a once souffle and instead serves up a flat. Cheerily antiseptic period musical. Oh, I thought he was going to work McDonald's into that somehow. <laughs> and that would have been awesome. Kenji Fuhishima from Slant Magazine says, All traces of grit from John Carney's earlier films have been scrubbed away in favor of relentlessly crowd-pleasing slickness. Uh, Mark Demetrius from Film Inc. Australia says, Leaden saccharine. Uh... Antonia Quirky from Financial Times, Financial Times, <laughs> says... Who is Duran Duran? <laughs> yeah. Uh, says Piffle, really, with guitars. Uh, Alistair Ryder from Film Inquiry says, There is more to like in Sing Street than there is to hate, but it is the missteps that truly stay with you. And finally... Anwen Crawford from The Monthly, Australia, says scenes transparently designed to sweep an audience away with the power of music falter because the songs are weak, because the songs are weak, <laughs> but the young cast do look the part. Even Lucy Boynton. <laughs> I, dude, I, real talk and Contrarian's Corner get together because I just don't 
by her as a teenager. No, she's, she looks much older than She's than great, Connor. but yeah. yeah. And I kept saying, you know, no, it, may, it might be the hair. The hair, the 80s hair is just aging mm-hmm. her. But she, no matter what she does to her hair later on in the movie, mm-hmm. he still looks like a little kid next to her. That and um, something I said in the first part that I stick with. The ending, I think, is a bit heavy-handed. How he gets into the the wake of the, the boat. No, just, okay, I I don't mind it because to me the story really. I guess what I love about this movie, what really put it over uh, the top for me, was just the the relationship with the brother. Mm-hmm. Everything else is great and it works. The songs, the the love story, and all that stuff. But I really. The through line for me is the brother. Every scene that he has with his brother where his brother is telling him about life and then later the reveal about the bitterness and the disappointment that the brother's been carrying and how that pays off at the end. I mean, that's really what makes it special. So, yeah, what happens at the end with the the boat and the the big cruiser that, you know, sails by or whatever. That's that's fair because like I was saying, like with that that age of adolescence that comes along with the caring and not caring. Like the scene we were talking about when his mom is sitting smoking in the sunset, he doesn't give a shit about it. Connor doesn't. <laughs> but then when, um, you know, uh, his brother Brennan's telling him all these things, it, it clearly resonates with him. So I thought as far as a character goes, they kind of hit that point to a T. For a character at that age, I should say. Right. Yeah. His, it's, uh, I mean, I usually, I think that the term coming of age is just so... You just hear all the time that it doesn't really. It I'm not gonna lie. When I read the synopsis of this and it said a coming of age dramedy, I was like, Ugh. I mean that that's a phrase that needs to be stricken from film film writing in general because yeah, it, it doesn't inspire anybody to want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Boy grows up movie. <laughs> Boy grows up learns about girls. Uh, it. Uh, how did you how did you like the the music just in general? I mean, as far as it was as, good. I really like the uh, the original songs and also like uh, the Cure of the Clash, um, Duran Duran, all the other <laughs> songs they use. I mean, like if I wasn't lying, I'll, I'll get down to some Duran Duran. Uh, but yeah, and like I said, I, I'm inclined to go and get the soundtrack after that. It, enjoyable, and I felt nostalgia. It doesn't rely on it, but it nails the time period that it's in as far as the music goes. Nostalgia would be them covering songs from that point in time and not necessarily writing original tunes in the Yeah, I like uh, that their one attempt at, at just being a cover band is you know <laughs> you know, they quickly have that uh that sense knocked into them and, and they go the the better route. So for that I don't I think nostalgia is a crutch for a lot of movies. Um most recently two hundred cigarettes. We couldn't figure out a reason why that was based in the 80s other than just for a nostalgia trip. Right. This is actually, oh, that's such a great follow-up, you know, and we didn't even plan it mm-hmm. because, yeah, you have two movies set in the 80s that couldn't be more different in the way that they take advantage of their setting. Yeah. 200 Cigarettes just doesn't. No. <laughs> and this one just, it really feels like it's the 80s for a reason. Yeah, it, it's not, with 200 Cigarettes, I remember it was like, oh, this is just a story and they put it in the 80s where this, to me, is... This is a story that happened in the eighties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like you can't if it wasn't happening in the eighties, it would it would definitely change change it fundamentally in the way it feels. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have the eighties music, which means that you don't have and you don't have the discussion about videos coming, you know, yeah. becoming a thing and the transition to, from, you know, the dad is talking about the Beatles and uh 
and the way that the brother explains the cure or explains run run or whatever you know that's just it's very specific to that time mm-hmm. so i you know and the father sort of molesting people <laughs> only in the 80s could that yeah happen. i was about to say that that holds up in any era but um, comedy was really there, too. I thought the comedic timing of the actors involved and uh, just some of the dialogue. Um, you do have to keep up. It does have a European, like, rat-a-tat about it in terms of it's really quick. and Well, and the accents are pretty varied. Like, I had no trouble with Connor or mm-hmm. basically anybody in his family. But once you got to the redhead kid and, uh, and the other members of the band, that got a little rougher. The yeah. bully, there were a couple oh. moments where, uh, you know, like, it's... It's kind of funny that aside from the, like, drop your pants and dance <laughs> thing, like, almost every time I, I wanted to have subtitles on to make sure I was catching what he was saying. But I don't know if that was a, because of, of the accent or just being a mush mouth. It was the Brad Pitt and Snatch trope. <laughs> In fact, you understand what he's saying. You just don't know what he's saying, you know, word <laughs> exactly. for word. Right? Exactly. Um, Eddie, you're the guest here. Uh, what about this movie works so well for you, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, it, it's really, I really lame to say like everything, but I, I don't really have any complaints against it. Like, I like the ending, uh, both for the brother and for Connor and Rafina, because I think like I don't know whether I think they're actually doing it or just like imagining it as like completing the fantasy or just like whatever they need to do to to keep chasing their dreams and. And doing whatever I, I appreciated for that and I, the songs are great and I you know I have a um like back last year for my kid's birthday party I made a playlist of just with movie music and I ended up putting like three or four songs on there so I've, I've heard it pretty pretty steadily throughout the year and like I mean dr- driving like you stole it is just so good like every now and then I still get like <laughs> a spine tingle when I when I hear it it's just it's just so good and, and fits the movie so perfectly I like it. I love the soundtrack, and I think that the songs are great. I just somehow I I, I didn't get the soundtrack uh, on my own, like just for my phone. I don't think that I would like it as much without the movie playing around it, or playing even playing with it. You know, I'll probably be more inclined to watch a video of the songs. You know, like with the footage that comes with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just listening to it on my on my phone, like as I'm driving, I just don't know that I would enjoy it as much. Uh, but maybe that's you, just... you should try it because I, I mean I don't, I don't often I don't often go to the playlist like I, I need those Sing Street songs right now but I'll just have it on shuffle and then when they come up I'm like oh yes finally again <laughs> let's get it <laughs> well you know this is so this is the same year that La La Land came out mm-hmm. and that was like my line through most of the uh, I guess award season uh, well one was Sing Street got robbed and two like anybody that came up praising La La Land, I would be like, have you seen Sing Street? Because to me, that's the best musical of the year. Mm. And of course, most people hadn't seen it. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of a shame. I mean, it's great because it's been on Netflix basically since it hit For video, year. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and But like, you didn't even know about it. No. You know, and to me, I, I guess, because I was, I was aware of it... Uh, for so long, it, it just to me it seemed like when I told you Sing Street, I was like, you know, Sing Street. <laughs> you know, and you're like, uh, is that with a Y? <laughs> a Y and an E at the end. E at the end. Um, I think some of the stuff that I I brought up on Contrarian's Corner, I think they apply, but I couldn't care less. Uh, you know, the fact that I mean, it, I think 
that that whole thing about you just need to worry about pursuing your dreams and to hell with everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that works in movies. I don't yeah, know that yeah. that's a very realistic stance to take, but of course, it's not like this movie is supposed to be a vocational video that's supposed to instruct you on how to live life. It's just a movie aimed at making you feel good and and plugging Duran Duran and plugging Duran Duran and The Cure and anybody else that they play. This my my eighties music knowledge ends. Right there, Duran Duran, The Cure, and then I don't know the other bands that they were. Uh, the Clash played. was in there. I recognize the music. I just mm-hmm. couldn't tell you who it was. Oh, okay. Um, the only thing I really had an issue with, and I mentioned this, I think, in the first part, was uh, how easily they persuaded Barry to join them, because he just completely like cut his balls off in front of the whole student <laughs> body, and he was like, "Hey, come help us." And like, okay. I had I, I really had more of an issue with that scene. The scene where he he just disarms him with words, and mm-hmm. this guy didn't strike me as the kind of person that would be that we that would be stopped with words. If he didn't understand the words you were using, he would take him as disrespect. Right. Know? I just he's punched him before, slapped him around for much less. Mm-hmm. So why didn't he do it right there? You know, it, it just. But that's fine. I'll buy it because the movie wants me to buy it, and I was. Speaking of punch, uh, Brenna Baxter at the end, I, we laughed about it in <laughs> Contrarian's Corner, but when he just grabs that one random student and punches him in the face, I had a hard time containing myself. Well, it wasn't a random student. It was uh, the guy that smashed the lights. Oh, okay. So, I mean, the it wasn't completely maker. unwarranted. It still shouldn't have happened. Was, how the well, hell he, like, punches that? him, and then he looks around, and he just kind of flees the scene. <laughs> like a true bully. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that kid wasn't playing around, though, because he, he was facing off with the other priest, and he grabs, like, a uh, a fire extinguisher and smashes the lights. I guess that's a fair point. Baxter's the real bully of the movie, not Barry. Barry has reasons. His his parents are drug addicts, and his dad's Maxim around, too. Yeah, I mean, the father, he's, you know, he, he's, you know, just representing, like, the system, like, every everything... That Ronda scene was disturbing. Go against. He like dunked his head in the sink and like made him wash his makeup off. So, so what's more disturbing? Him dunking his head in the sink or him asking him, offering him to like let him wash his Oh, that whole scene's disturbing. Like from start to finish. But what I, I mean, I didn't really, more? I didn't really, I didn't really get the like squirm feeling when he, when he offered his own bathroom. It felt. It, it almost felt like he he thought he was throwing Connor a bone of like okay just you know just do it here and go back to class. But I think if the if that hadn't been preceded by the line you have such a pretty face you don't need makeup mm-hmm. then yeah. But I think that that coupled with that's the, true. I, I think it's like I, I, you know I I viewer. didn't even really remember that line even though I just saw it earlier and I, I remember like having a, a second's pause. But then of course like in, in my simpleton head I didn't I wasn't really like anticipating any anything like predatory there i was just kind of like okay now he's he's about to get his face you know he's about to get his face washed and then then he's gonna go play some more songs um the other thing is also like i i like rufina as a character and i i'm rooting for them i'm happy they end up together and all stuff but she's playing him the entire movie i mean that's and that scene where she tries to not be herself is amazing. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, that's not me. <laughs> I couldn't believe that somebody would actually do that. <laughs> I am Mr. Snrub. <laughs> I come from far away. I'm, I'm Rufina's sister, Lufina. <laughs> Farina. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I I think maybe she but is I older. I won't be saying or doing anything. <laughs> 
I I am not a model, and I've never been in any music videos. But that paints a picture of like her character, how young she really is. To just think that would work, right? Yeah, but but I think that the the game she plays with him lean more towards something that an older girl would do. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I mean, girls grow up faster, so. Uh, but still, the way she she has him wrapped around her finger, yeah, and uh, it just he's just really lucky that she ended up <laughs> mm-hmm. really caring for him because she could have just completely taken advantage of him. But no, I mean you're the romantic of the podcast here. Were you as were you no. all in on the relationship? No. Were you rooting for them? But but did you get did you get like palpitations at the end? No, uh, it was one of those things of it is just. Um, Young love, child love. Child love doesn't sound good. Um, <laughs> puppy love? Puppy love. Puppy love. Yeah, because she clearly is playing him throughout. But the movie doesn't try to make any bones about that. So that's why I found the story good and uh, enjoyable and really enjoyed the movie. But yeah, it's not like I am a hopeless romantic, but you know. But but you, you can throw the line somewhere. You don't think that... Uh... Batman Mask of the Phantasm, this was not... <laughs> You think uh, Rufina is, is ditching him after they get to London after a while? If they actually go to London, if that's not just a fantasy <laughs> that they're having or uh, a dream sequence. Or rather. if they not drown like, on the way there. Oh, Jesus, I wasn't going to go that far, but... <laughs> they can just swim to shore. There's got to be a McDonald's somewhere. She can't can... swim. Well, that's right. <laughs> and then and then Connor is a hopeless romantic. So Connor is going down with the ship. If she if he can't save her... George Clooney in uh, Perfect Storm style. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I just the device of him uh, making the videos and creating the songs. That's the other thing that I really connected to, um, because even though Eamon doesn't really get that much screen time, I mm-hmm. think that that's the other relationship I really enjoyed. I just really like the fact that, uh, in a way, Connor has enriched his life. You know, like he mm-hmm. shows up and he's like, "Do you want to write a song?" And it's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to write another song? Yeah, always. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, so maybe if you didn't have those really strong relationships with the brother and with uh, with the friend, mm-hmm. then the movie wouldn't work that well for me just on the strength of the love story. Since, you know, I think that you can accuse the love story of not being that great. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie, this is the third time you've been on the podcast. Is that right? If you don't count. Yeah. His, his uh, well, he third or third and a half. Yeah. He accepted his award via satellite for that one. Yeah. Um, so Scream 4, what was the other one? It Follows. It Follows, that's right. Yeah, that's and part, right. Of it, part of it was uh, not wanting to be typecast as the horror guest. Not, not that I thought there would be anything bad yeah. about that, but just wanting, wanting to, to go for something else that, okay. that helped lead to Sing Street. Okay, well, that makes sense. He said and, that Curtis has been typecast as the Western guy. Yeah, and also the guy that... <laughs> We'll get up in the middle of a sentence and walk away from the recording desk and just continue to talk, making his point on the way to the bathroom. Uh, I ask that to ask, okay, I know Scream 4 is not going to be the answer. Uh, this or It Follows, which which is a film that you like more? Uh, it Follows. Yeah. I mean, that's not I mean, that's not a surprise to you can hear the disgusting Julio's <laughs> reaction there. But I, I know he's not surprised by that answer, but it's... it's um, a pretty I'm easy choice for me. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, and not that this means anything at all, but um, 
I, I don't I don't remember where I had Sing Street on my top ten. If it even made it, I don't, I don't remember if I made it before I saw the movie or not. But you know, It Follows was was a locked and loaded number one for like nine months for me. I think a better question is Sing Street or La La Land. I I like Sing Street better, but I I like La La Land a lot as well. So I for me it's not one or the other. I I enjoy both. I think you're a Sing Street guy, aren't you? <laughs> I'm definitely not a La La Land guy. I, I know that. I think you've made that a, a case <laughs> in point. Abundantly yeah. clear. <laughs> for, for the record, also, I'm, I'll pick Sing Street over It Follows. Okay. I, what about Scream 4, though? <laughs> I don't know. I need to rewatch Scream 4. Scream, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does Sing Street, you know, it, it can learn a, a little something about going for it with the ending from <laughs> Scream 4. How about you, Alex? Um, of the the Eddie trilogy that we've done so far, yeah. uh, you can include Entourage if you want to. Ah, oh, man, I really like Scream Four, but it follows is probably the the best one we've done with Eddie so far. So, and that's the thing we're dealing with elite films here. The three <laughs> movies that we've done with Eddie and Entourage, and no, <laughs> uh, I think we've covered Sing Street. So, of course, we'll uh, move along now to plugs. Uh, I'll kick us off and just saying. Uh, finally got my hands on the Friday the 13th video game for the PlayStation 4. It is fucking wonderful. How have I not seen any sort of They made a video game. Or they're still making video games about Friday the 13th, I should say. So it's only the second video game. The first one was the NES game. Yeah, I, I remember the NES game. Oh. Played it, finished it. Oh, no, you didn't. No I, one ever I, finishes I that game. I did. It actually has an ending. Where it says you and the cam- your fellow counselors killed Jason. This is the end, or is it, or something like that? Oh well, you're right. Maybe it doesn't end. <laughs> uh, I think if you do it twice, if, yeah. you, if you do it twice, it actually ends. But it's real. Jasons never die. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter campaign that was fan financed, and like, of course, the talk about nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, well, the level of detail is insane. You can be Jason from any like all the different Jasons and. You just go around and kill counselors, and but there's also a virtual cabin mode that's basically just like a bunch of little puzzles and riddles, and um, it's one of the games I haven't had a video game like this in a long time that I like thought about at work. Like I can't wait to get home to play <laughs> as soon as I get home, which is what you were saying about um, Guitar Hero. Yeah, so yeah. Guitar Hero Live and now Arkham Knight, which have oh Arkham Knight is fucking awesome. Yes, yeah, I played for I don't know. Altogether, you know, after several days, I play for maybe like six or seven hours, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm three percent into the game. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my plug would be the Friday the Thirteenth video game. Um, if you're a fan of the franchise, which the fans like that that are, I don't think there's any of them that don't know there's a video game out. But anyway, Julio. But now they know that it's worth yeah, all, it. All the all the all the fans pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> for real though. Uh, I'm going to plug a podcast that. Uh, I discovered a few days ago. It's called Beyond the Box Set. And it's dude, it scared me at first because the first episode I I listened to, it was their Love Actually episode. And basically their gimmick is uh, they'll take a movie that doesn't have a sequel and then they'll pitch a sequel or prequel or reboot, some sort of follow-up to the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it's these two guys and they each do like one take. Sometimes they'll do more than one, I guess. But And then, and then they read uh, listeners' Uh, suggestions as well mm-hmm. and uh, so it's all fun uh, I listened to their Love Actually episode and of course the first part of the podcast is just them talking about the movie and uh, and they were really funny they were tearing that movie apart or at least like 
one of the guys was, and the other one was just kind of like taking the hits because the other one was the guy that had suggested it. And, uh, but of course, my first thought is like, well, we can never do a Love Actually episode because these guys have already like done it. Like the, yeah. the, um, I haven't seen the Run Tomatoes score for Love Actually, but I'm sure it's high because mm-hmm. it's kind of a beloved movie. And, uh, and the way that it got torn apart in this podcast, it was like, well, that was Contrarian's Corner, right? <laughs> and they were really funny and they had British accents. So really they had us mm-hmm. uh, outnumbered there. Um, and then, you know, they did the sequel stuff and that was, uh, that was funny too. And then, so then I listened to other episodes and thankfully they're never, they're not, at least so far I've listened to five or six and they're not really Contrarian's when it comes to movie it just happened that love actually was a movie where one of the hosts just reacted very negatively mm-hmm. when contrarian to a uh, uh public opinion but you know then they've done stuff like titanic and gladiator and uh, and they just they just go with the movie so really it's more like like real talk for about 20 minutes and then they go into the sequels reboot stuff so hmm. so i'm not scared anymore after <laughs> what's it called beyond the box set beyond the box set nice uh yeah, they release once a week, and they already have like I don't know, close to fifty episodes probably. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. I I definitely I recommend it. I endorse it, um, and I am not threatened at all by them. <laughs> Excellent, uh, Eddie. Do you have any plugs for us? Yes, for once I actually do. Um, so like Julio mentioned, I, I joined the Austin Film Critics Association, which. Which uh, uh, it's it's plugs, not brags. <laughs> well, that leads up to the the brag. Well, not sorry that <laughs> that leads up to the plug, which basically just means I spent the last like two or three months just cramming in uh, movies and, and a lot of stuff I probably wouldn't have had the you know wouldn't have made the time to see it um, otherwise. And so a couple to spotlight. One is this documentary called The Work, which everybody needs to go out of their way to find. Um, I don't know if it's available to rent yet, but as soon as it's there, I guess you don't really have to go that far out of your way. You just click the iTunes or Google Play page and, and get there. But uh, it's this documentary about this, um, this I, I guess you can call it experimental therapy treatment where uh, a group of regular citizens, they go, uh, they're bust into this prison and they go through this intense four-day like group therapy session with um with the inmates and these are guys that have done heinous things and that are like in there for life um there's a point where one guy is talking about how he tried to kill somebody by cutting them in half and was like sitting on them sawing them with a machete and it's so it's like like these are like the the worst of the worst and um and really the movie is you know it's it's therapy watching the convicts and the regular people just talk about their uh whatever their emotional baggage is and like there's one guy who's uh in prison maybe for life i think but he uh he he just you know he wants to access the emotions to grieve for his sister who died and he's never been able to do that and um and then there's other people who um you know a lot, a lot of daddy issues in the movie and just it's uh it's a really emotional and, and wrenching uh documentary it's only like 89 minutes but it um it's it's a full meal of a movie damn sounds like it yeah um oh, something else everybody should go watch is a ghost story which nobody uh i feel like a lot of people may have heard about it because it 
of the gimmick of uh, Casey Affleck being a ghost. So you just seen a sheet with eye holes walking around for the whole movie <laughs> and, and the scene where um, Rooney Mara eats, uh, eats a whole pie in one take. Um, but the movie is, it's so much more interesting uh, than what the gimmick would, would make you think. And uh, judging from the box office on it, nobody went to see it. So people should go and find that. And then, I mean, it can't be worse than personal shoppers. So I, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Uh, the last thing uh, is just um, digging into the archives of the Contrarians. I'd like to recommend you guys go back and check out episodes 20 and 32. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mr. 2032 over here. That's what they're going to call me. <laughs> 203251. That's his, his inmate number. <laughs> yeah. Um, doing that work. <laughs> Accessing them emotions, baby. <laughs> uh, outside of that, we have the regulars. Uh, co- questions, comments, concerns, complaints. We are the contrarians at gmail.com. Best of years provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, oh, I talked to Chris. Uh, yeah, he said they're still mixing the album. So they, all, they only have like a couple singles out, but they okay. should be done pretty soon. Cool, cool. Uh, our website, we are the contrarians.com. All the other shits listed in our our fucking uh, web page. What, no, what's the uh, the bumper? The Plus, bumper, uh, yeah. Which you I know you were gonna say LinkedIn. We're gonna God, we're gonna have to uh, re-record this bumper. <laughs> <laughs> this is our MySpace for uh, for some samples of uh, for our favorite Duran Duran tracks. Exactly. Uh, no, the that, pride of Ireland McDonald's is in our top eight. <laughs> Uh, that bumper says iTunes, and we need to change it to Apple Podcasts at some point because you know that's that's what the cool oh, kids are calling Jesus, it now. Yeah. yeah, we got anything else to add? I think I think that's it. Sing us out, Eddie. As always, we appreciate your company and being here, especially on your birthday. Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. What uh, shit? I'm trying to remember that my favorite quote you had about your entourage opening for us was right. who? Who's the main character's name? Uh, Vince. But, yeah, you, you said Vince and the gang. <laughs> You're like it's always great to catch up with Vince and the gang. <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't listened to that since the episode came out, so I I had forgotten that. Someday Calvin stuck and with Vince me. Will, uh... I just I felt I felt really inspired. Like I was. I think I, I don't know, I don't know why, but for some reason I was like, that night, I'm just going to go walk to the gas station, because like everybody went to sleep, and I was like, I'll just take like a little 20 minute walk or something, and, and gather my thoughts, and then I sat in my car, because I didn't want to wake anybody up, so I, it was just like, as focused maybe as I've ever been on, on anything, just like powering through 10 minutes worth of entourage silliness. <laughs> Sometimes you need to take that entourage walk. That's right. And just gather your thoughts. And get your head straight. Yeah. And oh. I was trying to recall 
you know, trying to recall eight eight seasons and a movies worth the, of the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so the question is, what what is going to be the fourth movie? Putting you on the spot. Okay, I was going to say, do you have a, a suggestion? I mean, once upon a time, Bubble Boy was going to be the follow up. Mm. And I I love Bubble Boy. Um, I know that's a spoiler if anybody remembers if we ever actually do it, but I I love Bubble Boy a lot. Well, we've done a, a gray area and two uh, fresh it's movies, fresh. so we need to do a rotten movie. So Bubble, Boy Bubble Boy has is it? Uh, Bubble Boy is widely misunderstood by the many losers and haters out there. How did you did you really think that it was gonna be fresh? I don't know. I thought maybe it was like a gray area. <laughs> There's some of those that surprise us, you know. You, I have a hot take ready for for the Bubble Boy episode. You guys aren't even ready for it. No. I mean, I don't even know when we're going to record it, but he's you guys... putting his oven mitts on right now to handle that take <laughs> he's got over there. <laughs> Jake Joe and all his best performance. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> all right. I mean, we'll never know until we watch it. We got to just have the sound drop there and have the crickets. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't actually believe that. I just, that's a preview of contrarians corner. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's some four <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think we've set. The, I think we've set the stage for Eddie Strait's triumphant uh, quadrilogy. His return to the podcast. Um, just think, trying to make it better than Alien Resurrection. No. Uh, or so, Scream Four. Oh fuck you! <laughs> Scream Four is a great movie.